Welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773's Broadway. This is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show. Comedy on Power Talk. Please go to our website, powertalk.live. Download our free app to your smartphone and so you can stream all of our live local programming, including Solomon on Blast, the Jim Parisi Show, and yours truly, the Jake Feinberg Show. And we can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today and Along the way on my journey to divet, to dissect and to continue to explore the lineage of our cultural heritage and the music of our cultural heritage, it is always vital and cathartic to connect with cats who have been playing music, timeless music that goes back thousands of years, way before this country, the United States of America, ever even existed. And there's a cat that I've been after for some time. She's a uh, very melodic rhythmic player and she plays the indian percussion instrument known as tablas and uh she's very dedicated uh, to giving back and making sure that the lineage of the rhythms of her homeland uh not only stay with inside her own internal time field but also giving back to younger students and uh younger cats who have had digital beats crunched into their ears for many 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 years Rashni Shamlal, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you so much. Um, that was a really beautiful description, um, and I would love that in writing. <laughs> I can transcribe that. No, I, I mean, is, is, it, is it accurate? Is it accurate? Uh, I would like to think that it's a good mission statement and mode um, and a good reminder, you know, on a daily basis uh, when... I sit in front of my tableau or I sit on the stage um, or I do teach. But so thank you for that. That was um, very inspiring. Well, I mean, you to me, it's like uh, you uh, you have earned that. I mean, uh, I, 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 I wonder I, I am curious the fact that you're on the ground, if you could talk a little bit about um, the idea that uh, when you work with younger cats, I mean, it says you work in the New York public school system. And yeah. And so when you work with younger cats, do you notice uh, how you work with kids 
that literally have been listening to pop music that has automated drum machines and rhythm. How do you try to unlock their ears? Yeah, um, as a New York City public school teacher, I'm teaching everything. I'm teaching writing. I'm teaching math. Holy math. cow! You're a full. I thought you were just a. I, I yeah, thought you were I'm a toddler instructor. I am as well. I do that privately, um, and I do you know small little community programs where I'll do like workshops. But um, yeah, I'm also kind of like confronting the school system as a teacher of all subjects as well. Um, so I can speak to both of it, but specific to your question, um, yeah, having you know kids experiencing music in a more automated way versus you know physically slowing down to produce their own sense of tone and their own sense of inhabiting that musical space, you know, sometimes is a challenge. Um, just kind of using, helping students like realize their own physicality and their own sense of like how the grid can be created in their consciousness and brought to the musical space, I think, is, is always something, you know, that one has to work on cultivating and I, I, you know, that's something that I, I keep on cultivating in my own self, just my sense of the cycle, my sense of where it's going, the linearity of it, um, you know, so it's, it's, that's really where the starting point is for me, I think. Oh, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, can you give a, a tangible example when you are doing musical application, how you try to get them to be in touch with their physicality and their own heartbeat i mean i think that that people miss yeah. people people say oh i have terrible rhythm i can't it's not i mean it's it, or i can't drum i don't have rhythm everybody has rhythm right and and so how i mean can you talk about how you uh yeah how you how you apply uh the, your life force to the student musically yeah um just you know in my own small way of teaching i feel like just bringing it to the body, bringing it to language, bringing it to um, cadence within speech, you know, because tabla really lends itself to that. Um, it, it, it exists as a re recited language as well. If you're reciting the cycles, you know, like ta, din, din, ta, and like really just focusing on language, focusing on clapping, like keeping cla like that, that clapping pattern and you know, for a lot of students, just that alone and sitting with that is, it takes a lot of deceleration for them to just start there. Exactly, know? exactly. Yeah, and that's something, honestly, everything that I'm saying about the little that I do with my students, I, I'm still doing that for myself, too. So, um, you know, just to feel the space, establish the space, sit with the space, and then... Um, you know, like, there are so many prescribed ways in the tradition, too, of how you fill space, um, you know, with subdivisions and, you know, having that be the foundation of your rhythmic experience. And then maybe from that point going into the more complex compositions um, is always, I think, like a good approach, you know, because in, in trouble playing, the compositions themselves kind of feel like they're they're such like solid entities unto themselves, you know, like, like it's a, a poem, it's like a concrete poem, and it's like, this is the composition, and you learn to say it, and here's how it resolves, but it's so complicated sometimes that, you know, like, it, you might just like think of it kind of outside of the rhythmic cycle, a little bit like, 
without um, maybe thinking of how it will fit or how it naturally fits within the cycle, you know? Well, absolutely. Um, you're you're, you're articulate. I mean, you're telling me how, how many hours a week do you actually spend teaching tabla? I mean, to students. I mean, I had no idea you were, you're like a, a grade school teacher. I am, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I, mean, I was like, that isn't, so I mean, you're really like, I mean, to me it's like, so how many hours a week do you actually do, um, do the music? As far as being a teacher? Yes, not uh, not not the gigs, not the, I mean, because clearly that's where, where your passion. Um, I have about five students in rotation, you know, so like I spend maybe like three hours a week teaching tabla. Most of my hours these days, especially during the summer, is spent just playing out, you know. Um, but, again, I, I, I'm also a mom, so I'm teaching my own children as well, and that's where I really want to backtrack and, you know, um, really think about how to best communicate it to them in a way that will be the most impactful. Um, you know, and a lot of us kind of start learning, like we go to these classes and maybe not necessarily or how to bring it to our consciousness, you know, like how to really in, just own it. <laughs> so just trying to develop practices that um, allow for that as a teacher, I think, is important. I've... Uh... I've done about 3,500 radio interviews, and, and, and most of the, a lot of them have been with the, uh, you know, the, the, some ma masters of, of Indian music, many of them, uh, awesome. cats that are, that are, you know, unfortunately I wasn't able to get to some that have, have left, but, you know, many of them uh, talk about uh, the ritualistic uh, sort of uh, um, practices that went into, you know, they'd be doing, they'd be washing dishes and then they'd have to be chanting the, the Raga chants, uh, ding, 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 you know, ding, 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 like while, while they did that. And, and I wonder, um, uh, be, with children in West, I mean, I assume they live here. I mean, how do you, how do you make it a, a lesson as authentic as possible? I mean, I, I interviewed this cat. I'll have to bring his name up. I mean, he's a monster, yeah. it's a road player, but he, he was talking about like, his dad was just, I mean, so strict with him, so strict. And his mom one day was like, why? His mom went to his dad. He was listening through the door. And he's like, his mom's like, you know, why do you, why are you so hard on him? Like, what is the point of this if, if, you are, if, if, if he cannot, cannot see the light? And he said, the father said, you know, because I believe he can be a guruji. Because I believe that he has the ability to do this. As, and, and so, you know... How authentic are you able to, 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 put, to bring the music to your kids? Uh, I mean, this is really important. Right. Well, lucky for me, um, being in New York City, I have the opportunity of being a part of a collective called the Brooklyn Ragamassive. And um, just being in New York in general, I feel like we have so many authentic encounters with music and performance and people who are diligently... Uh, applying themselves to having musical ideas, expressing them, you know, especially in relationship to uh, tradition. So um, because of groups like this, um, and such a living sense of where the music is going and, and the society around it, honestly, that's been very helpful to me and to my children as well. Um, in, in just really seeing what it does, seeing the effect of it, feeling it, immersing it, having a living context for it, you know, so... Um, that helps now. If you see it like that, you see the most refined and polished um, 
outcome. And then you can backtrack and see, oh, wow, so you sit for three hours a day and you practice. You know, you that's where the repetition goes. That's where the sweat goes. And, you know, so kind of like seeing the whole trajectory of it, seeing the audience receive it, I think that really kind of helps. And that's kind of just one direction of how to interpret, you know, like. Yeah, I mean, because, uh, I mean, I mean, what, how are you, how were you taught? I mean, right. you know, I mean, I mean, to me, it was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I first encountered Indian classical music in Trinidad as a little girl. Um, and I was lucky that my father was one of the first Trinidadians. Um, and Trinidad is a little island. Wait, hold on. You're dead. You're, you have Trinidadian blood in you? Yeah, I am Trinidadian. Okay. No, you are not. You really are. You're. Tr you're from. Tr you're, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, but and there's so there's no East Indian blood in you. Um. Well, that's a complicated question because my ancestors are East Indian. Um, oh, this is ridiculous. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, well, colonial. Like, you can thank colonialism for this complication. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad to glad to have some complicated detours in my way. But you know, the Indians to wrap it up in a nutshell, um, were brought to the Caribbean, various islands to work on the sugarcane plantations by the British. Um, and the Indian, wait, hold on. I just want to be clear. I don't, I'm not, I, I used to teach history, but I'm far from an expert, but you're, you're telling me Indians were brought as slaves? Uh, indentured servants, they called it. Okay. So that, and that, and just for the record, that means that they eventually could buy their own plot of land. They'd still be, savages or poor but they could actually right. break out of they weren't slaves right so you know and that's a really kind of complicated loaded um reduction i think of what that word might mean because i think that it, did, it wasn't so clear-cut and there were lots of impediments to freedom and a lot of restrictions like in the cultural expression of um, how they were able to, you know, express their their language and express their um, their culture, their religion. Um, so, you know, honestly, I, I really would love to research that more as well. But, you know, because other other indigenous servants who were say brought to um, Suriname by the Dutch did preserve their language of Hindi and ended up speaking Dutch and English as well. But somehow, a lot of the Indians in Trinidad don't have any kind of connection to the language as far as like it didn't stay you know right yeah. those who did end up preserving it or speaking it did so probably because they took classes or maybe they were of like the priest like brahmin class you know so they like held on to the language but i think the general indo-trinidadian person does not speak hindi um and that's really complex and I actually found a book that I really want to read myself this summer called um, East Indian Music in the West Indies um, by a researcher and I think ethnomusicologist called Peter Manuel mm. so that gives kind of like the history of you know what happened to like what kind of folk traditions they held on to and but the fact was that not a lot of them were aware of Indian classical music like Hindustani classical or Carnatic classical they had more of a folk kind of legacy you know um, and it was until the 60s that um, a teacher was brought by the Indian High Commission um, from I think the Punjab area and his name was Professor H.S. Adesh and he ended up being the guru or the first guru of my dad 
who um, studied harmonium and he studied Hindi and he um, became like a vocalist. And my dad kind of like raised me in that environment, you know, and introduced me to tabla. And um, he was kind of my first teacher. So I, I just, I, this is blowing my mind. You have to, <laughs> so, so, so wait, first of all, is your, is your dad still around? Is he still alive? Yeah. yeah. I would, cause I would love to talk to him. I would love to interview yeah, him. Okay. Actually, yeah. He, he would be a better purveyor of those. Well, no, he, I mean, he, he lived it. I mean, but I'm just trying to be yeah. clear. Your, your, your great grandparents came from India. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. then, and then, and then somebody, your parents though, explain how you, who, who birthed you? <laughs> like, I, I'm trying to figure yeah. out how, I mean, is it Indian or is it Trinidad? You know, now I understand why they call it the West Indies. Yeah. You, you already helped me understand that. But, right. but, but I mean, your parent, your great grandparents were true blooded East Indian cats. And then, what happened from there? So, yeah, you know, I think basically all the Indians kind of started working on the sugarcane plantations and then stayed, like, they used to live in, I think they had, like, they, they basically earned their way out of living on the plantations and absolutely and had, you know, um, families. And I know on my dad's side, my dad's father died before I was born, but he was kind of like what they would call the local Ustad and, like, would sing scriptures and was Hindu and um, so there was singing, you know, but the primary instrument was like the tolak, not the tabla. Um, and on my mom's side too, there were, you know, elders who would sing as well. Um, and they kind of settled into society. Like my dad was a policeman, my mom was a teacher, you know, just like regular local Caribbean folk. Um, but my dad always kept a musical practice. You know, when my dad encountered this scholar, poet, teacher who came from India, you know, he took on a really serious practice. Like, and he started understanding what the tradition of Indian classical music um, and the vocal tradition, what that meant, you know. Um, and that um, teacher, Professor H.S. Adesh, brought not only music, but like contextualized it within, you know, like Hindu mythology, scriptures, pujas, um, like cultural practices as well, you know, so like he started from the ground up and he had like books on singing the ragas and like the raga compositions and so he really just changed completely I think, you know, he had an extremely important role in kind of rekindling a certain type of Indian cultural inheritance that um, might not have happened, I think, it, unless he'd gone to Trinidad. So let me just be clear. I'm. I, yeah. I, I want to be. This is. You consider your. Which which parent uh, is 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 Trinidadian? Both of them. My both of my parents were born in Trinidad. But even though okay, so they were born in Trinidad. Therefore, you yeah. uh, you you align yourself as a Trinidad Trinidadian. Yeah. Definitely, 100%. Okay, um, but they were both, but your mother, but both of them were birthed by people from India. Yes, correct. That is beautiful. Yes. That is so beautiful. This is why, I mean, you, you, you are, I mean, you, I don't know, you were born there, but the, yeah. your, your blood is from East, East, and your dad was a, someone who, who in, in that culture, from your earliest times, when you were a baby, you can, he was cultivating the lineage of the rhythms of India. Yeah, I mean, I have so many... Um, memories of my dad like waking up 
like at five in the morning and practicing. Like I would just hear him practicing. You know, he would have tamporas, like the drone instrument, like around the house. Like when I was a baby, I have so many baby pictures of me. Like he'll put me in the middle of a group of instruments and take pictures. You know, like he was just he. That is classic. That is. And so you were just you were you were just vibrating off those rhythms. (laughs) Yeah, basically. You know, I mean, I was. I I really owe it all to him. Mm -hmm. And you know, and he kind of also was a performer and a teacher we would go to cultural camps and like music competitions and even though he was the one who exposed me to it my mom was the one who you know when he was off playing out my mom would be the one at home making me practice like sitting with me and being like practice now <laughs> absolutely i'm telling you this this cat's name who i interviewed i'm going to send you the facebook it was ustad shahid parvez khan Oh, wow. Yeah, he's a master. No, and what I'm saying is I went up there five months ago to Phoenix. He was in Chandler because this wonderful Sarod player invited me up, and I did this Facebook Live interview with him, and he was very soft-spoken. He was a little bit apprehensive, but once we got into it, he started to talk about, I mean, in theory, in Western culture, you have children, I have children. It's like it's kind of a drag to practice, right? And it's like, and yet it was like not only mandatory, it was because they, I mean, his dad saw him as a master a, a potentially a master when he was a yeah. kid so i mean your mom would make would, would have you practice was it always was it all different types of like dumbbell was it uh um all only tablets or were you were you yeah. across the board all the percussion no no that's the thing tabla is such a beast i mean like yeah. i feel like when you a, a lot of people take on tabla from the perspective of being indian maybe you know and growing up in the um in the world of Indian culture, you know, like you just, maybe you just play tabla, you know, like, right. it's, or, or you play harmonium, or maybe you do one melodic instrument and one rhythmic instrument, but um, I, I have to say, too, like, I've seen some amazing, like, dholak players, like, young dholak players in temples, um, in the Indo-Caribbean temples, uh, there's so many of them in Queens and, you know, in New York City at large, but some of those young boys, <laughs> mostly boys, uh, you know, unfortunately... No, I mean, I think that's one thing that makes you very, uh, uh, almost a shaman is that you are a high priestess. You're female. You know, it's so beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to discover what that means for me. Absolutely. It's an, no, but I'm just saying be yourself. I mean, that you will, you will, you may, it may take your whole life, but, but I mean, I think that, I mean, do you feel like you are doing, uh, I mean, you're, you're, you are more of a, I mean, you're like my generation, probably like more like a Gen Xer. It's like you know, mm-hmm. the idea is, do you feel you're doing the best you can to instill authentic Indian raga music with your with your kids? Wow, that's such a huge question. Um, yes, and it takes a lot of discipline. Um, and because I want to, this is what I and I'll let you riff on this, but it's like your mom basically said. Roshni, practice. Now it's, you have to practice. And it wasn't right. really... Uh, kids were... There was a real hierarchy in the family system. It's it's all flipped around now. You probably... I mean, you can see kids having so much more power than they used to yeah. have. And so, like, you have to play more games with your kids to get them to do it? Or, or like, <laughs> is it as easy as saying, hey, practice? Well, you know, I, I feel so lucky to have my parents' presence in my children's lives because... My dad kind of, as a, a music teacher, you know, he teaches a lot 
in the Indo-Caribbean community of Queens. Oh, he's local. Um, oh, you're 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 you're, you're so lucky. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I really. You I are so. It's it's so. Yeah, I mean, he's already the, so. So tell me, explain how your kids, uh, in their most honest yeah. moments, how they love what not just they love him because he's the grand grandpa, but also, um, like what do they like about his teaching style if they do like his teaching? That's style. so awesome that you asked that because just the other day my son came up to me, um, and he was like, you know, I really like Nana as a teacher, and I was. Like, oh, really? Okay, why? <laughs> like, because I'm, you know, obviously curious to know what he's responding to. So he was like, Nana doesn't give me too much at once. And Nana doesn't over-explain things to me. He just, like, gives me a little at a time, and he watches what I'll do with it, you know? Um, wow. I dig. Yeah, That's such like, an old old guard mentality, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'm so proud of my dad because... That might not necessarily be the encounter I had with my dad. Um, Definitely not. No. <laughs> um, but the truth is, your dad, your dad was out there burning, playing on the bandstand, and and it was really more your mom keeping that, you know, pushing you forward. But I mean, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's so funny because like sometimes my dad would be like a judge on the panel of a competition, and he would have no idea that my mom like. <laughs> prepared me for this and entered me into the competition and I would just show up on stage and be like, excuse me? I like, love it. The, the mystery of it too. There's a mystic. I mean, why the lack of, how, how in today's world a wife would not communicate with a husband that their daughter <laughs> is going to be competing in this competition would be anathema. I think, I think she was just kind of like, it was like an inside joke. Well, no, but yeah, she probably wanted to just get him, have him get a kick out of it. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. And then it must have been kind of hard for him to be unbiased with that i mean it would be a difficult situation <laughs> I, I mean i don't know yeah like honestly my dad is my biggest critic too you know like and i i i like the challenge of his presence like i get my most nervous when he's there um as and you know it's like having my guru there as well I, i've learned from uh pundit and indo chatterjee um and whenever he's where is there, he where is he located He's located in Kolkata. Wow. Um, so you have to do you, do you do Skype or do you go back there? He actually comes here uh. And, uh, like a couple times a year and I sit with him and I've taken group classes and privates with him. Um, and he's an amazing teacher as well. Uh, but, you know, yeah, the, it, it really makes you nervous when these masters are present and you have to kind of maintain the integrity of your own personal vision on stage like living up to their expectation or whatever so let me ask you before we move on um the do you feel like it's been a common theme with all the masters that i've talked to about yeah. their parents or their being or their gurus being their their heart their biggest critic do you feel like you are able you know we are more sensitive our generation and the millennials yeah. are even more sensitive and yeah. our kids are going to be even more sensitive and the thing yeah. is do you feel that you are able to be a viable critic for your kids. Hmm. It's okay I, to say no. I mean, it's okay to say no. I'm just saying these guys got uh, these guys were run around the. You, I don't need to tell you. I mean, they were really the the criticism was intense, and that could turn I mean, a lot. It's it's it's, in, it's integral. Like you need to know where you where you fall short. I mean, yeah, we're all kind of falling short always. Always, I mean, you yeah. know. And I, I, I do think that, ch yeah, children shouldn't have kind of an inflated, or anyone should have an inflated sense of 
themselves because in the face of those masters, we're kind of nothing, you know? And I accept that about myself. And um, I, I do want my children to understand the humility that comes with taking a step into this ocean of knowledge. I mean, it's, it's you do what you can with the limits of your imagination and, you know, like the time and the discipline. But, I mean, masters who live this completely in, in, you know, created universes out of this material, I mean, it's, yeah, I worship them, you know, there's a reason. Um, oh, God, talking to Roshni Samlal, I mean, she's Trinidadian, uh, unbelievable situation. I, 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 I uh, we have a game on this program called Name That Voice, uh, I'm, Oh, no. I think you'll be fine. But even I really am more interested in you listening to the content of it. Yeah. And then okay. we'll come back and break it down, okay? Sounds great. Okay. Thanks. Well, I mean, as you've already mentioned, uh, my father was the premier tabla player of his generation in India. And, and I guess uh, in order to be appreciated all over the world as a great uh, uh, practitioner of a particular art form from your country, you must first be recognized in your own country. And, and so in that sense, people like my father and Ustad Aviat Khan and Pandit Ravi Shankar were already great musicians of, uh, you know, revered in, in our country, India, before they embarked on their... Uh, journey uh, across the planet to educate people uh, 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 into the art form that we all grew up with. So having done that already and established himself in India, he came over here uh, along with Pandit Ravi Shankar and uh, they became a duo for about 25 or 26 years, uh, inseparable playing concerts everywhere in the world. and. Um, when he was here with Ravi Shankar and playing with places, places like Monterey Pop or Woodstock or wherever, he came across so many great musicians at that time because, as you know, in, in California, it was like the melting pot <laughs> of uh, new ideas and, uh, and, and new interactions among musicians. People were uh, just, you know, getting uh, turned on to uh, musical ideas from all over the world ever gamelan orchestras in California, there was uh, Kodo drumming here, there was Afro-Cuban drumming here, uh, and, and, and music, as well as uh, Indian stuff, of course, set up by Ustad Ali Akbar Khan in Marin County. And so, uh, when my father was traveling in the West, and uh, when Ravi Shankar and he were in America, they would drop anchor in Los Angeles and then travel outwards from there everywhere in the United States. And at that time, he came across great musicians like playing, jamming with someone like Elvin Jones at Shelley's Man Hall in Los Angeles, a small little club down there, or or Buddy Ridge, and uh, frequently coming across those people and uh, playing with them, and uh, which l led to the idea of uh, him and Buddy Ridge doing this album. And uh, World Pacific was run by somebody called Richard Park. Well, I could go on and on. Do you know who that is? That's uh, Ustad, like you were saying. Oh, Rashni got it. She got it. That's from, I, I did an interview with him uh, New Year's Eve 2012. That's how long and how, how much I've dedicated my show to world music. And, and I, you know, I, I wanted you to, to talk a little bit about a couple things. You know, uh -huh. when uh, Al Uraka came here, I mean, India was still kind of, in the dark at that point. It wasn't a uh, world power that it is today. 
and he talked about before you can spread the lineage of of the of raga music authentically in the world you have to be considered a master in your homeland now you threw a curveball to me being that you are from trinidad right but um correct me if i'm wrong but i mean you're not really playing you're, you're playing indian raga music i mean you are not playing trinidadian yeah. okay so so how, how do you feel about this idea we live in a different time, but I do know that there is still a, it's, India is still a hotbed of Raga activity. And I wonder about the idea of you, have you been able to go back and is Rashni Samlal a name, not, not across the entire, you know, you know, uh, uh, country, but, uh, or, you know, but is it, have you, do you feel like, an, do you feel, do you understand what he's saying? And do you believe it's still I, I, true today? I mean, like, that is a whole other scale of impact, and that is a whole other scale of being so close to the roots of the music and so close to the formation of the identity of Indian classical music. You know, like, I mean, these are, that's the seedbed right there, and those masters were so close to the seedbed, and just, you know, they, they, they carved the space for themselves. So I feel like that's a whole other scale to what I'm accomplishing currently, you know, um, but that's still the, the scale that I'm fitting into, the lineage, you know, so um, as far as like creating that much of an impact or meaning, I, I'm still a student. No, 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 I do, there's, we're not, listen, I know you're, you are a spirit, okay, I'm not, I'm not, right. let's not, we're not going to confuse you with Ustad al-Uraka, but I'm, what I'm saying is, your guru is in Calcutta, D yeah. Does he implore on you, say, Rashni, you must come back and play here? Oh, right. That sense of, like, nationalistic... Exactly. I mean, saying, you know, because what he was saying was there, the, the idea of... First of all, Ali Akbar Khan could have been... Uh, the thing that's missing in our society today, We, you know, India... One reason I've wanted to connect with you for so long is because India is... You know, before they were sending... Uh, and, and a lot of it had to do with the Beatles, but, uh, right. you know... The, you know, the, the cats that were coming over here were gurus or in some cases, yeah. like Ali Akbar Khan could have been, he could have been a pop star. He could have made millions of dollars. He could have been just a rock star. And what he yeah. chose to do was open the Ali Akbar Car Co College of Music. He wanted to give yeah. back and educate. And mm -hmm. so, the you know, while you, you can't necessarily put yourself in the same category as a master yet, does your guru talk to you about... The national, the pride, the national pride of raga music, and and how Rashni needs to come back to her homeland, or, or I'm sorry, to your, to, to the roots, to in right. order to 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 begin to to be to ascend to a level of master. Um, no, there's not, there's not that sort of allegiance like that. There's no, there's not a stress on that. Mm -hmm. There is a stress on understanding the the lineage though there's a stress on understanding the content and really listening to the masters and you know where the compositions came from so the the musical you know to trace the musical creation is is definitely an accountability that's happening and you know being forged but as far as like the national pride i think it's a little bit more amorphous now because of the world that we live in you know post usad ali Khan and post pandit ravi shankarji um, they've created so much of a globalized awareness of this music that 
now the integrity, you know, if one wishes to, to think about it like that, is to the tradition, you know, or how you maintain or wish to maintain the integrity toward the tradition while playing with another context, you know, like a chamber context or, or like Im improvising with musicians who are from other traditions, you know. So my concerns right now is to just figure out my own sense of what what I want my voice to do, you know, like what, how how much of my tradition do I want to carry with me when I collaborate with people of other musical traditions, you know. This is fat. So you talk about the you you articulated it very well. Um, what what would you say is the the how how deep back are the are the does the lineage go? I mean, you know, to me, it's like. Um, uh, you talk about paying homage to not necessarily having to go back and prove yourself in India, but the idea of learning, you know, just understanding where it all came from. And I just wonder about, like, you know, how you br how do you put that? Like, when you were playing with people from other musical genres, um, how do you uh, communicate that non on the bandstand? Um, I'm sorry. Could could you repeat that? Question? Yeah, really, it wasn't it wasn't very well phrased. I, you know, you talked about just like sort of the how far back the roots of the whole language go, how deep the lineage of of raga music is, and and can you talk about the the beginnings of the of if possible the beginnings of 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 the of the cycles of raga music? I mean, how far how how far back does it go? Right. I think the raga music as we understand it, and in my limited understanding of it, um, goes back to the kind of cultural fusion that happened when the Mughals, um, and Hindustani classical music in particular, goes back to the, the Mughal era when, you know, we had masters like Tansen and uh, Haridas um, kind of created uh, Kyal singing and Hindustani classical music as we know it, you know. Um, and that's a huge, that, you know, that was a huge kind of like shift, I think, from uh, kind of like the musical traditions being more like associated with temple music and spiritual music to more of a performative presence in the classical world in North India. Um, and tabla came out of that collision between the Mughal influences and, um, you know, um, kind of like I think the Murdunga is the ancestor of the tabla. Wow, this you are doing. I just want to let you know you're you are on fire right now. Just keep going. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> this is so because you know what? Like like the light bulb turns on for people when they talk about Mahaprush Mishra or Ali Akbar Khan or Usted Aluraka, but it was going on way before that. So what was the mother? You saying it was the father? The which instrument was the antis before the tabla? The the Murdanga. The, Mur the Murdanga came before. Um, and there's, you know, I don't think there's a conclusive uh, story in how that happened. Um, but it was cut, you know, in half, they say, and kind of turned upward. And then having the tabla be at that position kind of um, created more of a classical virtuosic tradition, you know. Um, and within that virtuosic tradition, then you had the repertoire of actual tabla material coming out of it, you know, so it became less 
of only an in, uh, accompanist instrument and then more of a solo, you mm. know, with the solo capability as well. So, um, you know, my, my teacher is from the Karana, the Furkbad Karana, which um, he, he learned from uh, Pandit Gyan Prakash Ghosh, who's another... Oh, uh, yeah, Ghosh, oh, my God. I'm, I mean, my, just a shaman, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. That, that term is, is definitely applicable. It is. Uh, right? I'm not going to throw that around. I don't call that to everybody. I, I mean, gosh, man. I mean, I yeah. just there were. I just know that at the Ali Akbar Khan School, the, they had a tabla class. And I, I mean, it got down. It was 50-something students back in wow. the first year. And it got down to four. And I've interviewed all four of those cats. And they just, okay. you know, I mean, I, I wonder. And, 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 and from that, bands came out of that as well and i wonder about you know i, I realize you're a full-time teacher but what is your i mean do you but would you really like to be a full-time musician i would uh whether or not that's a viable option in you know current new york city i no no i'm saying if if, if let's just put it in the in the in yeah. the context because i think that Let's say it was okay, like where you were, yeah. you know, you weren't scraping by, and you know, the, the, on, you know, like you. What would be Roshni Samlal's dream band? What kind of instrumentation? What kind of places would you like to play? And honestly, mm. what kind of? I don't like genres of music, but uh -huh. what would it be? Two sets of improvisation? Would there be songs? Like, what would your dream band look like? Well, I'm lucky enough to be a part of some collaborations that I think that have the potential of becoming my dream band, and hopefully with, you know, with my own study and and time. Time is always the doozy in New York because everybody's, you know, so busy. And that's why I left. I grew up in Long Island. I'm so sick. Oh, of the, the okay. tempo. The, the tempo is it drives me insane. I don't mind coming back to visit, but. The vibe is just too frenetic. But okay, so let's yeah. just break that. First of all, you're gonna do it, okay? Yeah, so I feel I mean, this, but I just tell me the tell me the bands that you feel could. I mean, but if you're the leader, if you right. if Roshni's the leader, what does it look like? Um, I think that you know, I I definitely would want to have a strong Indian classical basis, and I would be the best tuba player I could be. You know, given that I would be able to just you know play it my best, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> Well, I'm I'm the collective of the women's Raga massive that I'm currently in is amazing, and I think that you know we have a string section and we have a Hindustani vocalist and we have another percussionist who does like cajon and um, ocean drum. Wow! Wow! Uh, wow! You know, like, wow! My dream band is really at my fingertips. Interestingly enough, because I feel like the personnel is there for me, you know. Um, and another project I have is with uh, Cora player and Oud player um, and producer Kane Mathis. And we have a project called Oracle that, again, it brings in that electronic component, which is something I'm really, 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 really interested in pursuing um, with, with Tabla and, you know, like with loops and uh, fixed media. So those two projects so far, I think, have the potential of really being my, my dream bands. Um, because with the, I really enjoy playing with the Cora, and it has this kind of phrase um, within phrasing within its um, what would you say canon 
that is called Convengo. And like with the phrase patents, it's really compatible with Tabla Tala cycles. And I really love playing with that. So, um, well, it's a perfect segue. Why, why don't we listen to some of Oracle and then come back and talk oh, about yeah. it? Okay. Okay. Yeah, sure.
Music on the Jake Feinberg Show brought to you by Abbott Taylor Jewelers, the Desert Heart Foundation of Southern Arizona, the Jewish Community Center of Southern Arizona, Craig Pretzinger of Allstate Insurance. We thank them for their support so we can play incredible world music like that for people around the world. And that was uh, Oracle, spelled O-R-A-K-E-L, live at a very hip place that... um, um, I've been to one time called Shapeshifter and uh, Kane Mathis and uh, Roshni Samlal. You know, does the uh, call and response exist in traditional raga music, or is that something that the kora, which I believe is African, does that enha- does the call and response come out because of the the that instrument? Um, that's a really good question. I think that the call and response that you hear there is mostly just like the symbiotic playing between the tabla and the the kora. But as far as like call and response in any classical music, it's, it's more about responsive playing as opposed to that being like a, a part of the tradition. You know, um, with the melodic lines for a main instrumentalist, like a vocalist, in any classical, you often have the harmonium or sarangi or violin kind of b- like helping to, to keep the musical energy going. Um, and the tuba player as an accompanist is, is playing responsively too and will try to mimic patterning, you know, um, or subdivisions or some kind of reference to like something percussive that the instrumentalist or vocalist might have done. Um, with the kora and the tabla, um, yeah, I think that 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 responsive playing is is really a part of what we absolutely. No, you you did that yeah. was that was beautiful. I mean, I I have to ask you very seriously. I I would like you. How do you, um, for lack of a better term, uh, how do you s- screw around with drummers, trap drummers? I mean, do you feel comfortable playing with them? Do you enjoy playing with them, or do you like to turn them inside out and upside down based on the fact that? <laughs> So many of the cyclical rhythms of ragas have nothing to do with, you know, playing in 4-4 four, four time or things like no. that. It's a little rough, and I haven't really... That's something I'm just beginning to explore, honestly. It's a little tricky playing with Kit. Um, I bet. But really can you talk about it? How you, can you talk about why it's rough? I, I, I'm obsessed with rhythm. My whole show has become about oh. rhythm. And why is it... Is it, is it like a push and a pull kind of thing? Or why is it rough? It well, just sonically, sometimes the tablet can be really outweighed by the right. force of a kit, you know, like just on that level. Um, the way that we occupy space might be a little bit different, you know, just like the register is different. Um, but if you're playing with a sensitive drummer, you know, like I've, I've played, uh, I did this one gig at Jalopy with um, an amazing drummer, Dan Kerfist, who has um, an ensemble called Ensemble Fauna, and he played kit, he played, like, um, different frame drums, and it was great because he had the sensitivity to where I was coming from. Um, so it's all about that, I think, and understanding the habits of each instrument. You know, like, tabla can be really flat sometimes, and the cycle can be really horizontal. Like, it doesn't have a lot of these vertical pops, and, like, you know, you have to be kind of aware of maybe what the palette is that you're working with and like how the virtuosity will express itself and maybe make room for that, you know? So, um, yeah, just sensitivity, musical sensitivity, I think is, is what it comes down to. Um, because you had Elvin Jones playing with Alu Raka. I mean, you know, and Elvin 
played with Coltrane, but he could be totally sensitive player too. Actually, those there's never they. I would love to hear recordings of that. Even Buddy Rich, Ooh. even yeah. here, you know, I don't know. I haven't listened to that Buddy Rich Alaraka record, but um, <laughs> is the is like so? Just setting aside your gig as a as a as a teacher, which is just mind blowing. I, I mean, I just thought you were just. I, I thought like you'd just be traveling to different schools teaching tabla, but you are. Oh, wish that's a dream come true. <laughs> so I mean, if somebody, um, you know, you're very, uh, you know, you're you haven't played in a while live, and you you want you want to play. Um, are you somebody that? Uh, I mean, there are cats that like you know musicians you would call them who have to pay the rent so somebody's calling them for a a funk gig or a classical gig or this kind of gig and they're Mm -hmm. they have to do it because they okay but then there's this idea of like being completely true to to your artistic true nature and still being able to make a living granted you're not a full-time musician at living but are you somebody uh two-part question are you um, somebody that is will take on a gig if you're really uh, jonesing to play uh, any kind of gig. And then number two, what is Roshni's main goal when you are, what is your main, biggest, most important intention when you are playing live in front of people? Right. Um, I think if, if the the gig, you know, the hypothetical gig still makes me happy to play. Like, if I I show up and I feel, yeah, if there's a certain level of, if if it really feeds back into the grid of my, what I want to do with this instrument, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there there are a lot of gigs that happen like that naturally in a place like New York, you know. Um, And not just because something is coming from a foreign musical tradition or even like a pop absolutely tradition does it kind of lessen the musical rigor you know so i think as long as there is awareness of musical rigor there's respect for time respect for commitment respect for uh and value for time and commitment you know um and it's 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 universal you know as musicians you you need to take things on that that definitely value time you know so if if somebody is approaching a project or even just like a gig you know that might just be a corporate thing you know i mean yeah you always have to weigh those factors time energy is it giving back to the tradition is it serving my growth or is it you know deadening in some way or is it disrespectful um well no this is the thing because i mean teachers are totally underpaid to begin with so (laughs) if a corporate gig comes along and it's like you know, someone's like, hey, Roshni, we want you to come. And, and it's just, and the money's good. I mean, it's, is it something you, you would just pass up based on um, your principles? Or is that something that you're going to say, God, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm living in the, the, you know, per capita, the, one of the highest gross, you know, truthfully, what do you do? Because right. I, I mean, I'd probably be taking the gig. I would too. Yeah, I would too. I mean, like we're musicians are always looking for patrons, you know, like <laughs> but that's what the palaces were all about, you know. I like, dig. was paid to compose, you know. So if, yeah, again, valuing time, valuing energy, yeah, I think that's a part of it. And, um, you know, we, can, we can't really afford to completely divorce the aesthetics and 
the innermost chambers of why we do the music from just daily living. So yeah, I think that's fine. Do you, um, I mean, we've, we've already started school back in, 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 in Arizona here, but how do you, tell me about your mood, uh, aside from just the exhaustion and the amount of work yeah, of, of being a teacher, um, right. what does it symbolize for, I mean, there are beautiful, you know, the greatest thing about Indian music for me is that there are morning ragas, afternoon and evening ragas, I, there are definitely seasonal ragas, and I wonder about Roshni's heart as you get ready to go back to this labor uh, after right. Labor Day. Um, you know, I'm sure that you are able to carve out opportunities to play, but psychologically, how is it always for you when you have to go back and do this solemn duty of supporting and making sure, it, you know, it's, it's something I struggle with right. a lot. How do you, how do you, what is your what what is your emotion like as you come up on another school year? There's definitely a level of apprehension, um, but I hope to meet that with discipline. You know, it's it's the kind of thing that only discipline will solve. Um, as far as like, it just makes you really aware of where your energy goes and accountable, and you know, creating structures. Like I have to create structures that facilitate practice you know that's kind of a non-negotiable at this point so <laughs> I, I dig yeah. discipline but I mean that discipline goes traces back to to Trinidad I mean that's yeah. when your mom was saying practice Roshni I mean yeah. you have to um, it's a lifestyle. It, it truly truly is a lifestyle yeah. and the things that don't fit into it get cut out you know <laughs> that's just how it goes um, mm. and that's the sacrifice you kind of make when you take it on you know because it's something that's and as cliched as it sounds, it's inside of you, and you do it because you've already the momentum is there, the purity is there, and it has to come to fruition with how you spend your time and what you do with your time. So it's always a constant kind of like self reminder to like instead of just wanting to veg out, you know, and like watch a show or something or just go to bed, you just have to like push it. A little bit extra. There's nothing wrong with relaxing. I mean, by the way, there's a, right. you know, I, but I'm with. I mean, like, um, how many gigs do you play um, June to August or each month, and then how many do you play during the school year? Um, yeah, like June to August, and it fluctuates too. But like about ten to fifteen gigs a month during the school year. And even during the school year, too, yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. So it doesn't even dissipate. I mean, you still find the time. That's fantastic. Yeah. And it's good. And, you know, having such a thriving local community, I think, is a part of it because I don't have to go on crazy tours during the school year. There's that much <laughs> happening here, you know? And so I'm, I'm really grateful to be in a place like New York that, you know, I can contribute and gain from the local community do you feel that um do you feel that a, mu a musician is considered in this in this society now um is it is music a musician's gift to the world or should it be seen as a profession i i'm very bummed out that you go back to the mid 50s dizzy gillespie i mean he wasn't making millions of dollars but Right. Um, neither was Miles, but they were respected as geniuses because they were creating new language and doing something completely different. And it was seen as a profession. And mm -hmm. I see it now as a situation where, 
you know, not necessarily for you, but I guarantee you've been in situations where it's like, you know, you're in a group and they're like, yeah, you know, you can, uh, even in New York, you can pay to play or you can play for the door or, you know, and, and, and to me, that speaks to this idea of, because we live in this quantified time, it's all data driven and music is so spiritual and so unquantifiable that if you can't do that, then therefore, oh, it must be it must be just given to for free. I'd, I'd like you to riff on the idea of music, musicians as a profession and why you think that, if you think that's really how we should view this, how we should look at it as a society. Wow. I definitely think it should be valued as far as, you know, um, having its production, its artistic production, its mental work, its time, its labor. It's There's a lot of funding that needs to go toward music and the survival of musicians for sure so as far as the industry existing I definitely think it should because so many people are relying on their skill it's a skill so I think it should be um, definitely rewarded as such and um, just like any other sort of societal production music is there too and it happens to just be one that really runs deep and comes from craft and comes from the merging of a lot of different worlds, you know. So I don't see it as kind of being, let's say, corrupt or um, hypocritical or kind of like dissonant in a way, you know, just because it kind of inhabits and comes from more mystical spaces, but you bring it to the world and you bring it to through your body and through your time and energy. So I think that I 100% support, you know, the music industry and the fairness that pays musicians. (laughs) You realize that when you become a leader on your own and you go out and take the insecure path and maybe leave a profession like teaching, that that, you're going to have to be preaching that to to club owners. Oh, God. I'm sure you already do, but it's like, you know, music is a reflection of what's happening in society. And so, I mean, to me, I mean, it's not even about funding. Yeah, we need funding. You need to put, you know, I mean, they take instruments out of all the minority schools and that's a whole other thing. But the idea of just saying we are going to put on a spiritual burning performance of music and we need, we we, we deserve and are entitled to be compensated for it. And I wonder, um, you know, you probably have already run into that situation. Where I didn't feel fairly compensated? Or, or where you had to actually talk truth to power to some club owner or maybe somebody within a band had to do it where they're like, you know, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is are you, yeah. are you, are you, I mean, listen, there are cats, you, you talk to Chuck Rainey or all these great studio cats, they would go out and play any gig mainly because they were getting, they were in the studios all day so they were making good bread and they yeah. could go out and play for free. I mean, right. do you, are you willing to do that or do you, do you hold the line? If I had the lifestyle that supported that, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, like, I get together with lots of friends that we, you know, in, in classical music, you call it riaz. It's, it's your sadhana, it's your practice, and there's time and space for that, you know, um, and it's a learning experience, but yeah, you have to just kind of weigh it out and see if it serves your, if it's sustainable, if it's not sustainable, <laughs> then you know, then it's kind of like you're kind of biting yourself in the butt. But um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's important to collaborate just for the spirit of creating, for sure. If but how could you do that if you, you're not taking care of your basic needs? You know, like 
that joy can't come from an impoverished and stressed out state. No, you're 100% right. I just, I look at it and I say, in some ways it pains me to know that someone like yourself can't, in a stress-free environment, commit yourself to full-on artistic creation. uh, That you need to take up a gig outside of that in order to do it. And a part of it's just the cost of living. But, um, you know, I mean, listen. Having children and, you know, the the need to have some amount of, like, stability with that. But, you know, yeah, I mean, sometimes, too, in in a lot of, uh, you know, and there's so many running jokes about coming from, like, South Asian families and immigrant families where your parents need to know that you have some level of security. You know, like, like maybe your parents wouldn't be happy if they knew you were just kind of taking this artistic path. Uh, yeah, know? no, I mean, I got to you're, you're, I don't think that that's just South Asian. I think that that's, but yeah, it is, I think it's at every, every uh, ethnicity, every, every people. But I just know that when my, I had my children, I became less conservative, less responsible, and I just went towards my true nature completely. And there are consequences for that. But I yeah. would say to you that I, I just feel like um, down when you know the time is right, when you feel it inside your soul, you make a move to go yeah. towards the insecure path because then you will really find, I mean, you already are a spirit and you will find that you will transcend to even higher level uh, yeah. because of that because you are really accessing your true nature. Uh, and, you know, I just look forward to, I, I had, I, before I let you go, I know you're not going to be in town. I'm going to be in New York. Could I, could I do a Facebook live interview with your father? Yeah, I can put you guys in touch. I'd be happy to do that. And, Cause I got a couple of days free. I'll send you a couple of things, samples that I've already done, but you're not there. So he's the next best thing by far. <laughs> Yeah, he. I think he would be happy too, um, and I, I. I think that would be great. I love it. All right. Well, Roshni, I knew this would be fun, and I will get you a, a copy of this later. And and thank you for being who you are, and and bringing love to the world through rhythm. Thank you so much for your interest and support and patience in making this happen. Um, I really appreciate it. Take care. Enjoy Arizona. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye. Another cosmic day here on the Jake Feinberg Show. Uh, heard from Lao Noah in hour one and uh, just got off the phone with uh, an amazing Indian Raga tabla player, Roshni Samlal. Uh, we will be back at some point in the near future. I'm off to New York next week. We're cooking the groove here on the Jake Feinberg Show. <laughs>
Shall we say, shall we call it funny? 